This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Hello everyone and welcome to another magical episode of Zing This. You got me, the Zing That Lived. And me, Many Faces of Ron Ellie. That is a good one. There is a lot of different faces of Ron in this one. <laughs> and of course, as always for these, we are joined by a very special duo of guests on this one. Hello, I am Sammy Snape. I am the love child of <laughs> Severus Snape and Albus Dumbledore. And I am Adorable. Oh. <laughs> and I am Katie Weasley because I want the Weasleys to adopt me. Aw. And is this, am I correct that this is your podcasting debut? This is my co- podcasting debut. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we have Sam from the Not Alone podcast joining us to discuss the next chapter in our Harry Potter a thon or whatever you want to call it. Um, we are doing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So year two of Harry Potter. And as always with these, we start off by not only giving ourselves fun nicknames, but we do our top three moments from the film. So you guys are our guests. We will allow you two to go first. And you don't have to have the same list. You can have your own individual list. So by all means, let us know what your top three moments are. You d- do you want to go first or do you want me to go well, first? Well, we have two of the same top moments. So why don't you say your first top moment and I'll say my first top moment and then we'll share the second. Oh, what uh, the was two my that first match. top moment? Sam, this is why you had this to bring the notes. This is why we have the notes. Um, okay, so my first top moment it was ron's face was it ron's face okay so my first top moment was when they are in the flying car and somehow really you don't even know how in the film it doesn't you don't hear like an audible train whistle you don't really see anything but somehow ron seems to know that they're about to get hit by a train and he looks over to harry with just this death mask on his face of just like we have messed up we are going to die this is so bad and he just looks miserable um and so that's my first top moment because i just i love it and but that's more of like an honorable mention my actual first top moment is when the car itself gains sentience and kicks (laughs) them out it's like i hate you for all you've done to me and it kicks them out after getting the crap beat out of it and then it, it runs off into the Forbidden Forest. So that's my first top moment. The other one was All just right. an honorable mention. Katie, what's your, <laughs> first, what's your first top moment? Well, all of my top moments take place towards the end of the film. So my first top moment is when Gilderoy Lockhart uh, loses his memory. And he is sitting in the, in the Chamber of Secrets. And he says, this is an odd sort of place. Do you live here? <laughs> and I think, I think that's funny. It makes <laughs> me good. laugh every that's time. Good. And then my second top moment was the entire scene of the uh, Chamber of Secrets from as soon as they step foot into it 
till they kill the basilisk and and get out of there flying on the phoenix that's just like one of my favorite things in the entire world okay you're changing your top moments so I, I guess we don't have two of the match anymore <laughs> okay that's my fine. second top moment is when they free dobby oh yeah that is a good one that is a good one that is a good one oh it's so good also i learned something because you know in that in that scene um jason isaac's starts to say Avada Kedavra as if he's actually going to kill this kid. <laughs> I was going to bring that up later in our discussion yeah. because okay, I'm we'll like, talk- is he seriously? So, we'll so talk we'll, about I, it later. T- t- tell you what, put a pin in it. Put yes, a pin in it, everybody. The pin, the pin is in. I noticed is that at the beginning of the movie, when Dobby gets locked into Harry's closet while Uncle Vernon comes upstairs, Dobby comes out of the closet and Harry's sock is on his head and he nice. throws it aside. And so I feel like that might be a little allusion oh, to what's going to happen later in the film. Ooh. Yeah. There you go. Uh, my third top moment, right? Am I on three? Yeah. I th- well, I you've already three. said three, but. Well, the one first was one was an honorable, honorable mention. mention. Um, <laughs> the third top moment is at the very end when Hagrid comes back and everyone's like clapping for Hagrid. And it made me, <laughs> I didn't even remember that. I didn't remember that at all. So we're like sitting there watching this just a day or two ago and I'm like tearing up. It's such a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's my third moment too. Nice, nice. All right. So good top three moments. Let's see if we have some crossover. Ellie, do you want to go next or... I can. All right. <laughs> Go for it, ma'am. Uh, um, one of my top moments is the same as theirs. I loved it when, you know, Harry tricks Mr. Malfoy and um, has, you know, gifts Dobby the sock. So, uh, Dobby, excuse me, Dobby, however you want to say it. Um, I love that. I think it's really great. And especially when it was a good little, um, what do you want to say, like a... Screw you. <laughs> I've got you. So I, I love that, that Harry Potter moment where he he gets to free him. Dobby also... is a free elf. I know. It's so awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> number two, I really love Professor Sprout and the Mandrakes, that whole scene. Mm-hmm. Um, with Neville passing out and, you know, Draco being an idiot and putting his finger in the Mandrake's mouth and just that that whole scene I I just I love it a lot it's really great and Professor Sprout is definitely not given enough credit she's a pretty awesome person um, and then my third one would be the whole duel between Malfoy and Potter and when you first really in the first one you you obviously do see him do a little parcel tongue. Um, at the zoo, but, but this you're is not a, hearing it. Yeah, you're hearing it. He's talking in what's English, but of right. course you find out later that it's actually, it's it's in his head. He's hearing English, but people around him right. here. So I thought that was really cool when you're really first beginning to see. Wait, that's that's crazy, and um, you know he's he's still doing it innocently, thinking he was saving that kid from the snake, but everybody else thinks he's you know yeah. being mean. Um, so I, I liked that whole section too. I thought it was cool. All right, My, I, this is this might be unprecedented because I don't have any overlap with any of them. I think there is. I think we all kind of took different things away from this. There is a little bit, but mine are um, meeting the Weasleys where they go mm-hmm. to the burrow and kind of the first time. I mean, I know you get to see them in the first movie and everything, but this was really getting to like meet them at the house and. Right. 
this is a moment I know we don't really compare to the book that often. I know it does get brought up, though, but as we're just tackling the movie, this is a moment I feel that got robbed is they didn't spend much time there. Mm. Though they do in later movies, this was a moment that I remember in the books, they kind of, it was Harry's first, like, real experience of being in a wizarding house, Mm -hmm. which I thought was cool. But they have a little bit of a nod to it, but it's something they, I think, do a better job of in later movies, really diving into it. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed that. The next scene that, um, my next favorite moment was the, the, they figured out it was a basilisk that, that, that whole, wait, how'd everyone, you know, get turned to stone and everything. And the whole, oh, he saw him through a, through the ghost and the ghost is already like that whole piecing it together scene. I really enjoyed all of that. They find it's a basilisk. Then they find out, you know, how everyone, you know, kind of lived through their encounters with it, I thought was a really cool scene. For me, at least. Mm-hmm. And my final... Yeah, and my final one was the, of course, in the Chamber of Secrets, the reveal of Tom Riddle, and then the reveal that not only who he was, but who he later would become, Voldemort. I, I really enjoyed that scene of, you know, he shows up and it's like, oh, he's... You know, he's the guy that, that saved the day back in the day. He's here to, to oh, he's he's Voldemort. Ah, don't so, you hate it when that happens? It, it happens all too often. But <laughs> yeah, I... It to be Voldemort. <laughs> I really dug all those scenes myself. So, I, I, like I said, I took, I, I took a different approach to this, apparently, for my favorite moments. But speaking of favorite moments, we have our favorite magical item that was in the movie. So... I, I'm going to get yelled at by Ellie for this one, I bet. But um, in, in that case, I will let our guest once again go first so I can nice. avoid my scolding I will Saving get. Saving the tongue lashing for later. Saving the oh. howler. <laughs> the howler I will get for later. Oh, there you go. Um, yes. My favorite magical item is a... Well, basically what it is, it's, I, it's the brain of the basilisk as the sword of Godric Gryffindor goes through it, because those are my <laughs> two favorite things, and that's when they merge into one. I <laughs> I love reptile creatures. Like, dragons have always been my stuff. They're, they're what I always love. And so, like, great big giant snakes is one of my great loves in life, and my other great love in life is cool swords. So that is a perfect... <laughs> melding uh there to create one item a brain with a sword <laughs> through it so you're so you're using a animal and the um sword of godric gryffindor for yours yes interesting. yes interesting my, take, take note ellie my favorite <laughs> is also not really an item it's an animal and my favorite is fox the phoenix nice. in particular fox's tears and how they have healing powers but i think fox is cool just overall all right, I, I I will nod my head to that one. <laughs> Ellie, are you going to allow the animal as a magical item? I never said that the animals could not be magical. <laughs> okay, items. I'm just I'm just fair, I'm just I'm, I'm I, clarifying. I like the way I'm that you clarifying. always paint a lovely picture of me in every episode. <laughs> I'm a rage monster ready to pounce. No, you're you you. you, you I I put forth rules for these things and then immediately go run off and break them. You so do. I have to keep you in check. 
So, what would your favorite magical item be? Um, hands down, the car. The car? Mm-hmm. Yes. The flying car would hands down be my, I mean, just the, you know, the initial flight to the school and then with the tree and then later on in the woods um, with the spiders. It's, <laughs> it's just awesome. I love the car a lot. It has such personality and, and it's great. So, that would be mine. All right. That's that's definitely a good one, and like I said, the car gaining sentience, as Sam pointed out, yeah. is a is a great moment too. Um, I'm okay. There's there's a lot of items to choose from in this. Yes. There's of course the basilisk, which is a great great creature, and I'm sure we'll touch on it later. Um, the sword of Godric Gryffindor is another item that that is a great thing, but I'm going to also agree that the phoenix. Was my favorite magical item from this, because one phoenixes are awesome and I do enjoy them, in the sense of this movie and in you know the mythological origins of them. But I also enjoy the fact of if we might jump ahead a movie or few, I, I uh, uh, the significance that that bird later has. We're too. not discussing the third we, we movie. We aren't we aren't discussing later movies. Right. But I so just wanted you have to, say, to relate it into the option of what it is in this. No, movie. I like it in this one. It comes in, it saves the day, it blinds <laughs> the basilisk, it does all that stuff. But I like how Rowling later on goes back to the well of there's something I introduced earlier on, but let's make it more important and have it have more significance. That's literally her bag. That's who she it, is as a person. And I love that. It's one of the things about her writing that blew my mind was especially near the end of the series as like Horcruxes are revealed. I still yes. remember the diadem is mentioned in the room of requirement like three books before you realize it's a Horcrux. And that blew yes. the crap out of my mind. I saw and on Facebook this like diagram that she had written for the fifth book. Oh no. And like and like her plot diagram, it was so dope. You should look it up. It's just r- really cool. I can't even describe it, but she just like it was really interesting to see the way her brain worked mm-hmm. in during the writing process, you know. I actually uh- Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm 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 rewatching these and it's been a it's been a little bit since I read the book and as I'm watching these stuff is rejiggering back to my mind. Um, Did you just make that word up? Probably rejiggering. Yes, um, back to my mind. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> the 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 diary is one of the Horcruxes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I I was trying to remember because I'm like I know it's kind of mentioned later, so I'm like I swear that that is one of them. So I just wanted to make sure, and that was, mm-hmm. of course, a callback by her, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in the movie where it's appropriate. Ellie is giving me a stare now <laughs> that I am, once again, talking about future stuff. But before we move on to discuss the movie, there is one more thing we have to get from our guest, and that is what house of the... Oh, her- yes. Where would you be sorted if you were at Hogwarts? My wife is pointing a finger in my face right now because she knows that what I'm going to say... What I truly <laughs> believe about myself as a person is that I would be in Hufflepuff because <laughs> I like to be a helper. I like to be a friend. And the, and I, <laughs> no, that, you don't. Shh, 
That's who I like to think of myself as a person. But Katie believes that I should be in Slytherin most likely because I'm always scheming and plotting. And like, we'll walk through the store and I'll be like, the perfect way to steal this is this. And she'll be like, why are you thinking about that? But I like to think, not that I condone shoplifting or practice it regularly. Come at me. Um, But I'd like to think that I'm a Hufflepuff. And that's what I'm sticking with. He's not a Hufflepuff. He's a conniving, scheming person. That's fair. That's fair. Anyway, and let's Katie, move forward. what about you? <laughs> I am a Ravenclaw. Mm-hmm. I agree with All that. All right. Uh, Ellie, remind me, You, I, I remember I landed in Gryffindor. Where did you land again? For yours? Uh, well, when I've done the real live sorting challenges... They've always put me in Slytherin. But I'm like Harry Potter and not Slytherin, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. So maybe that's how Sam became a Hufflepuff. Because he was also saying not Slytherin. I'm like Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff. (laughs) Cool. I just wanted to remind our listeners and everything with that. So from there, let's move on to the discussion on this, this, this second installment, this movie, this, um... I, I think a very interesting kind of the beginnings of Harry Potter growing up as both a character and as a story to mature with its audience too, because this kind of handles death a lot more than you'd expect mm. in a in the second installment for a quote unquote children's movie slash book. Well, because it. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna make a offhanded reference, so. All you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You save that reference for later. Um, I So because of the movie, right, we were sitting there watching the movie, and I kept having, like, these little bits that I remembered from the book coming back mm-hmm. to me that weren't in the movie. And because of that, I've decided to reread all of the Harry Potter books because we got, like, the cool enhanced ebook editions when they came out um yeah they're super dope they got like cool pictures and like little tidbits of facts uh in them and so i reread in the last three days i reread the sorcerer's stone not all of them (laughs) i wish um (laughs) but i reread the sorcerer's stone and i finished it at like 2 a.m last night and i was just really astounded by like how much of a children's book that first one is like everything from the writing style to to the like the themes are definitely still like oh good and evil and this and that but it just it seems like a more simple black and white sort of a book and and this sort of thing you'd read your kid and not really worry too much about it but i it does it gets darker and that's the whole point of harry potter is it just starts out like bright and happy this kid is a wizard and then it gets and and gets darker and darker and darker and darker as time goes on and i really do agree that this is this is even just in the second book where it starts to turn and we see that it's going to be a more mature thing than just that first book well i think the books and the movies mature with harry you know and the themes get more adult as harry himself becomes more of an adult so because what kind of a 12-year-old doesn't sit there contemplating death every day? <laughs> Dark. Dark. <laughs> I, there, there is, okay, 
I, I'm, I'm going to rip this Band-Aid off myself real quick and get this out there because I feel like I, I kept saying I don't want to compare the book to the movie. I don't want to compare the book to the movie, but there is a few things I want to complain about that I know are kind of hinted at in the movie, but they're not. It's, it's something that's told in the book. Mm. Um, if you noticed when Hagrid shows up in Dumbledore's office when Harry when he thinks Harry's being accused of being the heir to Slytherin that mm-hmm. he's the one performing all this stuff he's holding a dead chicken mm-hmm. it never references in a movie the significance of why chicken of why roosters and chickens like can't be around when the basilisk mm-hmm. is because of course it's something that for some reason the snake can't deal with yeah but that's something that is mentioned in the book I thought it's a nice touch in the movie, but it's one of those things, if you read the book, you would have picked up on that, but in the movie, there's just a, oh, he's holding a dead rooster. Mm-hmm. We obviously know, if we read the book, what it's doing, but it could have been a nice little mention in the movie at some point. So that's kind of, I guess, one of, well, one of my complaints. Well, I disagree with you. Oh, okay, fine. Let's <laughs> let's do this. I was waiting for, for, for someone to call me out, so let's do this. Um, Gloves are coming off. <laughs> No, that's not necessary. You can keep them on. All right. Um, But what I was saying was, is I think that it's nice when they do that kind of stuff and not explain it because it's a nice nod for the readers. Mm -hmm. You know, when you when you have these movies made from books, it's that's. Like I said, that's those nice little pieces of morsels that you're like, oh, I know what they're doing there. So it, it kind of, for the people that have read the books, can go, oh, cool. That's, you, you know, it's it's nice for them, and they know it's for them specifically for rewarding them for reading the book. and But it's enough to where it's not off-putting to where if you haven't read the book, you just kind of look at it and you don't pay attention to it. Yes. So it, it doesn't ruin the experience but it enhances it for the people that read the book so i don't think they need to explain it there is one other thing i'm going to complain about and it is from from the from the book to the movie and i cannot remember the ghost's name right now off the top of my head nearly headless nick peeves no 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 no. this is one that never is mentioned in the it's you don't see him in the movies the best of my knowledge it is the one who teaches history, oh, as mentioned previously, yeah. yeah, as mentioned previously by Cogs in the previous, um, one of these, he is the one that explains the whole history mm-hmm. of the Chamber of Secrets and the Heir of Slytherin, which instead in this one was McGonagall. done was done by McGonagall mm-hmm. instead, yeah. and mm-hmm. I think that that would have been a great moment to include the ghost because. If there is certain characters that that do get the the short end of the stick in this series, I do believe it is the ghost. As time goes on through these mm-hmm. movies, they sort of get that keep particular pushed. ghost or all Just, of the ghosts. All the ghosts, I feel, sort of keep getting pushed to okay. the back. Even though in the books they aren't major in the move in 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 the books and everything, mm-hmm. but they're there enough that they should be. Um, present and everything so that would you how would you integrate it just as he's like going down why the couldn't hallway why or? couldn't they have just had them in his class explain it just like mcgonagall did i think that would have been too much though because they like to keep the i noticed through the movies they like to keep just certain classes like so they didn't have more sets to have to mm-hmm. build so i think it would probably have been better if he was just floating down the hallway with a couple other ghosts and they're just happen to talk about it and you hear it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind yeah. of like a, mm-hmm. I, 
Like I said, that's 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 just me airing one more grievance about the <laughs> what what was in the movie from the book. And I think does anyone else have them before we move on? Well, in the book, the in addition to ghosts kind of being overlooked, Harry goes to um, nearly headless Nick's death day party. Yeah, and um, at the death day yes. party, the headless hunt shows up, and you learn that whole backstory and. You know, I think, and that's a pretty cool scene mm-hmm. in the book. So that would have been nice to see in the movie. But again, I think it comes back to that building sets. And that's a lot of special effects that they would have had to do to put all those ghosts together and mm-hmm. stuff. So it makes sense why they left it out. But I think that's another thing that would have, you know, been cool to see. Because I'm pretty sure he's at the death day party right before he finds out about um, Filch's cat. I could be mm-hmm. wrong about that. Mm-hmm. He could have still been with Lockhart like he is in the movie, but I think he's at the death day party because it's on Halloween. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, like, like I said, I mean, I understand that, you know, certain things don't add to the movie or add to the plot sometimes. So that would be something that would, would have been kind of taken away from possibly plot growth and other things like that. But this is of course a uh, two and a half hour movie, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's what yeah. is it? It's the like, Katie knows this. It's the second shortest book, but the longest movie. Isn't that what it is? Um, f- for a long time, I don't know, because I l- heard the statistic before all the movies were done being made. Oh, but for okay. a while, the fifth one was the longest book, but the shortest movie. Although I think the eighth movie is now the shortest, and then the second book was the longest movie, but the shortest book. Something like that. Interesting. Yeah, and the to to piggyback on what you were saying, Zhang, is. Like, I don't know, when McGonagall is telling them that backstory, it just seemed weird to me. It didn't seem like something that the character of McGonagall would do. I don't know. I could be wrong. But she's not the kind of, like, she is to the Golden Trio, and she's very caring and loving in in her own weird... She's a lot sterner than we remember, especially in the books. And it doesn't seem like she would be like, all right, let's interrupt this important lesson for some backstory and lore. So I think that they could have done that a lot better. And I, with what you were saying about like, this adds to the plot that doesn't, I think that one of the things that's important to, to take away is just like trying to create an uh, era and an aspect of magic. Like, yes, mm-hmm. the the Death Day Party could have been something that was removed just because it didn't really add to the plot or anything like that, but it could have just added so much more in the dimension of the film. And one of the biggest criticisms that you hear from people, like, is how the films leave out so much, and rightfully so, because there's so much in there. But I was even just saying to Katie, if they, and probably when they remake these films, probably another 10, 15 years what they need to do is like an HBO style game of Thrones thing where it's like every book is a season. It's a season. Mm-hmm. I like that mm-hmm. because I like that idea. That's, that's part of the, the magic of Harry Potter is just how detailed and, and real and, and complete this universe is. And you lose that in the films. But I will say one of the things that they did right is incorporating more of the, the beeline plots than you see in other movies. Like Mm -hmm. for instance, the entire Dobby thing, right? The entire like Dobby's here to save Harry Potter, but he's doing that by almost killing Harry Potter. I truly believe if it wasn't Chris Columbus who made this movie, but one of the later directors that just would have gotten dropped just like how in Harry Potter and the half blood prince, the half blood prince got dropped. (laughs) There's like, 
three references to it when throughout the book it's that entire journey of learning yeah. about him so that's something that i think that the film did well uh that that may get lost later on so another thing i wanted to point out is so we're introduced to of course i'm, I'm sorry i'm jumping back into the plot here where we're at Di- mm-hmm. uh, Diagon Alley, and we get introduced to Lucius Malfoy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you also have Draco Malfoy there. Um, do we think that this was a good casting? Do we think that... Because I, I think we said in the previous one that uh, Malfoy was one of the better kid actors in this. Do we mm-hmm. think that, that carried over into this one? And also with the introduction of his parent, who would, of course, be a mainstay for the rest of the series, too. So I don't, I don't know if you had any... Any thoughts on that? Because I thought he immediately just was like, why aren't we locking this guy up? Yeah. Like, every scene, it was like, why isn't this guy being locked up? Like, how can you not find anything on him? He's just <laughs> evil. Yeah. Because he's got the cash. Got the <laughs> That's cash. why. He's paying people off. I thought his name's Jason Isaacs, Jason's right? Like, the, yeah, the, Jason the, Isaacs. Yeah, he, um, I thought he did a great job. Sam told me a fun bit of trivia, which was that it was his idea, the actor's, to give Lucius Malfoy long hair, but in order to keep his hair out of his face, he had to tilt his head back, which gave him the impression that he was looking down his nose at everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that right there is a great, just a great way to portray the character. You know, I think think he's a great Lucius Malfoy, personally. I agree. Oh, go ahead. No, no, (laughs) you guys are the guests. Go, Go ahead. I cannot imagine anybody else being Lucius Malfoy. Like he is. I don't know who you would cast. Like no. I, I don't have anybody in mind. They're, they're, he is completely perfect for the role, and I agree. It's just like this guy is obviously bad. He's obviously skeezy, you know. And and then you take from that the backstory in the first book, where you learn that right after. I don't know if they mention it in the movie, but you learn that after the fall of of Voldemort the first time the Malfoys were one of the first families to like come back to the good side. And they were like, Oh, we're bewitched. We were, you know, not doing it of our own accord, which is obviously crap. And you can Mm -hmm. just see that this is a person who's out for himself, Mm -hmm. self-preservation really probably doesn't even care as much about his son as he does about himself. And it is, it's, it's apparent from the moment that you meet him. But if you skip ahead in the later films, there is more character development and Mm -hmm. he becomes more than just, a slime ball you see that he has you know conflicting emotions and things right. like that so but in this film definitely he just is a slime ball <laughs> i'd still punch him in <laughs> yeah. at any point in yeah. time <laughs> ellie uh do you have any thoughts on lucius well, i mean the only thing the only problem i had i'm just going to discuss him in this film but um the only problem i had with him in this film was the very first part of that beginning scene when you see him in the bookstore mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he wouldn't have had any reason to have really ever seen um, Hermione or Harry. Obviously pictures and stuff, but I mean in person. Yes. But can you honestly tell me that um, he didn't know who the Weasleys were? I mean, he's worked with the... Um, oh, you mean none of the, they didn't know who any of the kids? Yeah, were. he's like, oh, let me guess, these are the Weasleys. I mean, that that, that line I just don't care for, just because of if, he, they've worked together in the Ministry of Magic. So. If I may mm-hmm. defend this real quick, 
in in the vaguest sense of the... You can try it. You'll be wrong, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. So Malfoy is somebody that is obviously hung up on themselves. We've established that he cares more about himself than anyone else and kind of his family and his status. Lucius or Malfoy? Lucius. Okay. You Lucius said Malfoy. Malfoy. Sorry. Okay. Well, they're both Malfoy. <laughs> they're well, both I know, Malfoy. but I'm just saying. Just say I'm, Lucius. I'm, no, I'm not wrong still. <laughs> But he obviously cares more about himself than anyone else. So do you think that he would honestly, like, he could have probably been getting shown a picture of the entire Weasley family, and he would just have been staring at that, and it would have been, you, you could have shown him a blank piece of paper or in a picture of an entire family. I don't think it would have registered with him because to him, none of it's a concern to him because it, none, none of them benefit him in any way, shape, or form. So then when he would probably actually meet them, it would be like he'd be meeting them for the first time because he just, he he cares about, he doesn't care about anybody, so he doesn't register anyone but himself as important. I I mean, I think that's stretching and overgeneralizing the character, though. But I, I mean, because but I think he, he made a point to talk to, um, I'm sorry, the father of the Weasleys. I'm, Arthur. I'm forgetting his name. Arthur. Arthur, thank you. Um um, you know, he makes a point to, you know, say to Arthur, see you at work or this or that. I mean, I, I just, I, I think he would know them because I think to them, he despises them so much and what they stand for that he would know them. Um, maybe not know what every single kid looks like, but I just, I think it, I just didn't like the way that was written to where he was just like, oh, these, mo-. that that's the only thing that I had a problem with. Other than that, he does play the sleazeball very well. But I, I do like, that's not what I took yeah, away from it. Yeah, if I may disagree with both of you, uh, <laughs> Whoa! what I, the way that I took it and, and Katie, let me know if you agree or disagree is that he totally knows who these kids are. He's just using it as an opportunity to put them down. To be a down, snob. To yeah. be like, because well, he uh, acknowledges to, Arthur as someone that he knows. Yeah. You know, like they, they, they're obviously acquainted with each other. But he wants to put these kids down and distinctify the social class in a way to say that I'm so high class that I don't know who you are when he obviously does. And he says, hand me down clothes or whatever the crap he says. I think that right. he is completely aware well, of who they are. He just the wanted to make the them feel too. like they were less like than they him. were less than him. Yeah. And as Ellie pointed out, he did. Okay. Can we agree? Maybe, maybe agree on one point. Do you guys think that Lucius Malfoy is the more bigger villain of this movie? To a lesser extent, Bigger he's than kind of Voldemort? the Voldemort. <laughs> well, Voldemort really isn't uh. in this that much until kind of the very end. He's like, and all oh, you, this... oh, you're speaking of just this movie. Yes, of oh. this movie. Would you say that he's the bigger? Uh, I don't know. Because I, I mean, mean, he's the one that triggered. He's a, he's he puts the 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 item in Jenny's cauldron. But he only does it because he's a pawn of Tom Riddle. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily Voldemort. I mean, excuse me. Lucius is the villain. It's uh, he's being played by Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Well, but, and it says okay. later in the series. I don't think it says this in the movies, but in the books, Dumbledore says something about how he doesn't think Lucius Malfoy even knew what the diary was, and that he oh. just thought it was you know something incriminating that would get Ginny in trouble. But he had no idea the extent oh. to which the damage would be done because Voldemort wouldn't have told him that. So, um, that's true. Yeah, I, or at least that that seems true. Yeah. yeah. So it was a happy accident, more or less, that <laughs> yes. it, it turned into what it did. Yeah, he was. The way that Dumbledore talks about it is that he just like wanted to make Ginny 
you know, have a stain on the Weasley name or, you know, things like that. He didn't realize, like, he might have known that maybe something bad would happen, but I don't think he knew the full extent. He didn't know it was a Horcrux, certainly, you know. Which, by the way, everyone, do you remember Cha-Cha, the messaging service? Oh, where no. you would Are like going to bring this up? Yes. You would, like, text a message and then Cha-Cha would reply with the answer. Oh, yes, I yeah. do. Yeah. You had, you could call a phone number, too. Yeah. Katie was Cha-Cha for Harry Potter in our in our area. Like she's <laughs> she's awesome. the Harry Potter expert. So I just wanted to throw that out. It's part of her credentials. It's not part of my credentials. <laughs> well, we are glad to have her on then to be able to correct us on all far ill advi- I mean ill ill um information we're giving out then <laughs> good good <laughs> we're, we're under the watchful eye then apparently yes. or ear <laughs> if you would all right so my final thing on malfoy and then we'll move on to something else as we mentioned earlier was he going to be doing the killing curse okay. to harry was he legitimately going to kill harry right there in the middle of hogwarts okay so a few things here a I do believe he would. B, because he really, truly adores being in power over other people. And so he really loved having Dobby to beat the crap out of. Or at least maybe, I don't I don't know if he would have finished the curse. But here's what the actual situation is. Is that he forgot, in that moment of filming, <laughs> I love this, he forgot every spell. <laughs> Except for Avada Kedavra, because he was reading the fourth book at that point. And so they it wasn't really scripted for him to say a spell or what. They were just like, just do something threatening. And so he starts <laughs> saying Avada Kedavra as just like this, oh crap, what do I say sort of thing. So within the universe, I do think that he would have at least attempted to murder Harry Potter. I don't, because he <laughs> likes to get away scot-free. You know what I well, mean? He likes to too. be involved in whatever he wants to be involved in, but not suffer any consequences. And if he had murdered a child on Hogwarts property, I don't think that would have gone over well for him. That's Especially fair. since that child was Harry Potter. So I, I don't I don't know if that's super true to like what the character you know I what just, I mean? I think of him as enough of a monster to do it, I guess. Yeah. Again, I don't know if he would have finished it, but I, I know that he as a person would have threatened it for sure over something as trivial as like losing a, a servant. But. Or was he trying to kill what, what if he was trying to kill Dobby and it just oh. was framed to look like he was trying to, even though, I mean, it's pretty stupid on his part, considering the fact that obviously elves do have some magical abilities to be mm-hmm. able to block something like that pretty easily. Yeah. It's entirely possible. I Ellie, think he was trying to thoughts? kill him. <laughs> Sam is up. I do too. I do to too. I I, th- I think he was trying to straight up murder Harry. Yeah. And then and then figure out what to do late afterwards. Yeah. It's like, oh, I killed him. What do I do? If you've got enough <laughs> money, you can kill any kid you want. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Strike. That. Maybe he was thinking there wasn't anybody in the hallway. So hey. You know what? That was an obviously very <laughs> deserted scene for yeah, Hogwarts. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. There was nobody around, so why not? That's fair. <laughs> and why are you holding our daughter's wand? 
I'm sorry. I just remembered it was sitting on our desk. Sorry. I actually, um, once again, a great podcast medium. I'm going to describe something visually. Um, our daughter actually has um, the Elder Wand. <gasps> yeah. she got I have the Harry Elder Potter Wand. wand. <laughs> yes. I just didn't bring it today. When he gets drunk, he waves it around and tells stories. Yep. <laughs> and it was happened to be sitting on the desk, so I have picked it up and was kind of, and I've been flicking it around as we've been talking. Yes. So that's awesome. I so yes, yeah, so so they so they I I am truly trying to get into the role of a wizard for this. <laughs> um, speaking of the role of a wizard, Gilderoy Lockhart. What love does love him? Sorry. Whoa, wait, okay, I was about to love? say, what does everyone think of him? And Ellie decided to. <laughs> Jump on that, situation. Ellie. Do you love Kenneth Branagh or do you love Gilderoy Lockhart? I love. Or do you Kenneth love Kenneth Branagh, Branagh as Gilderoy <laughs> okay, Lockhart? Okay. That's good. <laughs> no, not necessarily the character, but yes, I I thought um, I I love him in general. I think he's such a great actor, but I thought he did a good job with that part because he definitely was. You could tell he was full of crap from the very beginning. And he really, really played a lot, of, especially after the Quidditch match when he's mm-hmm. trying to heal his arm. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and he was like, oh, well, at least it doesn't hurt now, you know. And it just, just his air about him was really, really funny. But mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the um, when he runs over to, to do the spin. And Harry's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> 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 like, Harry was even like, I, I no, no, you're going to mess this up. Right. So I, I I do I do like that that he was portrayed. I think they did a good job with it, and also of course with the rotating defense against the dark arts teachers. Mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. enjoy the fact that that he was brought in. But um, I will have other stuff to say in a month on the next one. Foreshadowing. Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> Lord. I exactly. also adore Kenneth Branagh. I'll watch anything like even murder on the orient express actor i bought that movie because of kenneth branagh so like i'm on board um yeah and he because he's such a good actor he can portray this this very real like the obviously the the um rumor or whatever the backstory is that jk rowling created gilderoy lockhart based on someone she knew possibly her ex-husband or something like that but just he seems like a real person, right? We all know this person uh, one way or the other in our life who just cannot admit that they're wrong and thinks that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, and I think that he did an amazing job of, of showing that. That compulsive liar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we do all know that person yeah. and we all hate them. <laughs> we all hate them. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't know that person, you are it's that you. person. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> We're going to alienate all of your listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming on. I guess we're not alone now. (laughs) Okay, so we've mentioned the Basilisk a few times. Also ranked up there as, Sam, one of your favorite creatures and or moments. So I didn't know if you would like to talk on the... the mythical creature or the creature presented, of course, in this movie for a minute. Yes, Everything, everything about the basilisk is something that I adore. I like. I still, in fact, Katie and I were watching the movie, and it was like really late at night. It was like eleven o'clock or midnight or something, and it started with the the hissing and the kill, kill, 
and we like turned it off because it was <laughs> it was getting too spooky for that late at night and it is just it's one of my favorite things because it has that sort of basic animal intelligence but it just communicates and exudes this death and doom and destruction sort of sort of thing with it and then you have the idea that it it encompasses these magical abilities as well any magical animal from a basilisk to a phoenix to anything else is just something that i've i've always loved um and it's just one of those powerful animals like it it's a good opponent it's something that's hard to kill it's something that's really scary uh because it is like well if you see it you're dead right away it's just the perfect monster it's the perfect like thing to have at your beck and call and then you have this idea of slytherin himself being you know obviously parcel tongue and and matching with snakes it's just the right choice all around uh, and yeah it scares me and i think that's why i love it um i i do agree with you that that it's a, that it is a great you know the slytherin the snake like you could have had a big snake but i think having a giant turn you to stone mm. um kill you on sight snake was something that i think was definitely up the ante mm. and of course you know with with mythical or magical creatures that also was a great addition mm. medusa what there you go gorgon yes very ma- <laughs> yes very gorgon like um and maybe that's where in the world of harry potter they come from is mm. from that's where our human history gets that mythology from is from basilisk even though there are basilisks in mythology in the, in the first book hagrid does say galloping gorgons which makes me believe that there are gorgons somewhere in the <laughs> harry awesome. potter universe yeah. but we know that basilisks are hat are hatched by having i think it's just a snake egg hatched underneath a chicken Under, yeah yeah yep okay really <laughs> yeah yeah that's the mythology huh. yeah and that's something in there is why the crow of a rooster can kill it is is some sort of a... She doesn't really make that connection. No, she but doesn't. But she does tell you that a basilisk comes from being hatched underneath a snake egg hatched underneath mm-hmm. a chicken. Hmm. Um, speaking of mythical creatures, Hagrid and all that. So what did you guys think of the whole revelation of we've discovered why Hagrid was expelled from Hogwarts and kind of got a look at him when he was in school and kind of odd that him and and uh tom riddle went to or Voldemort went to uh, school at the same time it's always felt weird it's always felt strange to me because if it's just like if the people of hogwarts did truly believe that hagrid committed this atrocity I know that it says... I know, why does he get to be employed there? It says something like, oh, Dumbledore really liked me, so they just forgot that I supposedly murdered some kids. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, and and also, like, they don't come to take Hagrid away until, like, four kids have been petrified. Mm -hmm. Like, wouldn't that be the very first thing you would do after the cat? Like... It doesn't, that doesn't yeah. really make a lot of sense. Which is is potentially there so that you can like see how Voldemort is distorting. If it was there because Voldemort was distorting the past and distorting history to try to gain Harry's trust or to, to subvert him in some way, that would be one thing. But then we have this real world evidence that that is truly what people thought happened. It wasn't a lie that Tom Riddle made up. 
to to take away Harry's trust in his friends and family or or wizarding family. It's always just seemed weird to me and just wrong all in all. But at the end of the day, if Dumbledore is the greatest wizard of our age, like, I guess he can just say it's cool. The kid killer can live at the kid's school. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You get those sorts of abilities when you kill Grindelwald. (laughs) He didn't kill him. Or put him in jail. Yeah, sorry. Yes, there we go. Defeat him. Stop spoiling the prequels. Yeah. I am actually really I'm I'm happy with these other than Johnny Depp. Sorry. But I'm <laughs> sorry. Like, I really enjoy the Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Him that movie and then I'm really looking forward to like the Crimes of Grindelwald. This sort of thing is exactly what I've wanted for Harry Potter where we don't need to know exactly what Harry Potter's done after Hogwarts, but I want to I want this universe to be more fleshed out. So, I dig it. So you would prefer the prequels over any sequels to well to the, to the harry potter universe it's gonna be like the cursed child then definitely <laughs> we prefer the prequels over the sequels katie really hated that i look. really hated harry potter and the cursed child it is the only thing i have not I, I i i know the plot to it and i just personally i'm like to me harry ended harry potter ended when the book ended yeah like Leave it when, that when way, the actual final book ended you can do a ton of stuff with the with the existence before that because that just builds a, a very interesting mm-hmm. world in my opinion but if, if you want yeah. my personal opinion i i it's cool they did a play on it but for me and my head canon, it doesn't exist yeah so well and i just like just, the the idea of like wizards elsewhere right so we've got mm-hmm. wizards in america i'd love to see like a wizards in asia sort of thing or in africa somewhere else I just I like that idea that that Britain and and Europe is not the only place with magic in it. So that I think that's another big reason why I like the prequels. No, this isn't one of my favorites. So <gasps> I don't really neither. have a lot to talk. <laughs> I don't have much to say about this one. It's Katie's least favorite movie and my favorite movie because of the basilisk. <laughs> he just likes the snake. Yeah, that's like the, the only reason it's one. I, like I, I understand why you do. So that's. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, the first two, I don't really, I like the later movies a little bit better. Me but. too. The The only other thing that I want to say, and maybe this would go well and impact in the series, but the other thing that I noticed is that, is that like, this is the last time, and again, it's probably just because Chris Columbus directed the first and the second this is the last time that the wizards like look like wizards to me. They're in robes. Like when um, Cornelius Fudge goes to Hagrid's hut, like he's in like Victorian style clothing with like a cool hairdo and stuff. Like they look like wizards going forward. They just look like kids. Like they're wearing jeans or, or teenagers. They're wearing jeans. They're wearing t-shirts. They wear their robes like somewhere to be formal or sometimes to be formal and stuff like that. But, I just feel like you lose well, some of that wizardly. Well, they still wear them to class and stuff. Yeah, but even then, it's like, it's not done up. It's it's like you have a, a like crinkly robe and it's like undone and stuff like that. It's not as formal of wizardry as it was in the start, I would say. Yeah, it definitely feels more, in, I think, in the first two films, like a very um, quaint world that mm-hmm. is very... Um, spooky but not in a creepy way does that make sense like it's spooky and like yeah. a charming mm-hmm. and very quirky 
um, well, and isolated, world. isolated from the styles and fashion of the Muggle Yes, world. and then it goes. You know, I don't know how to describe it, but she does a very good job of this in the books too, of creating this very, just this world that's just a little different mm-hmm. than you know what what muggles live in and then in the other books it seems like you kind of lose some of that charm mm. to that world and it becomes much more a much darker place that um maybe i mean it's still magical but there's i feel like there's not quite that distinction which again though you know you mentioned it at the start of the show the books mature and and gain in complexity and and thematic material as harry matures so maybe it's the same sort of thing that when you're 11 year old 11 years old and you're a wizard you know this magical world is everything a magical world should be Mm -hmm. but then as you grow into it it's more of just like everyday life with a little bit of of magic on the side it also could be that they had multiple directors yeah that's probably it (laughs) a lot of and and that's fine like i wouldn't have I wouldn't have wanted Chris Columbus directing all of these movies. If yeah, I'll, can you imagine like no. a set like a seven and eight movie directed no. by Chris Columbus? It'd be bizarre. <laughs> but if Alfonso Cuaron wanted to direct all of these oh, movies, they been that would have been fine yeah. with me. Yeah, I adore him. Um, there is one thing I wanted to point out that I I, I know we're kind of moving into impact on the series. Um. My previous statement from the last movie of this is some of the worst CGI I've ever seen, mm. that was improved upon for um, this, for the, of course, the um, Quidditch game, I felt, looked a lot... looked. It still looked like something from its time, but it didn't look... It looked better than the first it, one, it, yes. It, it mm. looked better than the first yes. one, thankfully. It had its <laughs> moments, but, mm-hmm. but yes... Um, as for impact on the series, the, and, and to be honest, um, this isn't one of my favorites either, but I cannot deny that this adds a lot to the mythos and the world of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Horcrux is being added. Uh, and and, this, and this, this is all stuff that's come back to later in it, and that, that, that she's able to come back to. It's that this does at least introduce a lot of that and really does... We don't have to to do the whole, you know... Harry's being introduced to the world of of wizards. It's we're already in the world of wizards. Mm-hmm. Now we get to learn more and more and more about it. So that's why I I do enjoy what this did. As for the story, it's it's um of course it does wrap around that it is it does have to do with Voldemort and his whole thing is he's of course using a Horcrux to try to become tangibly real again to be able to to be evil and do his evil stuff, but. In, in the end, it's kind of more of a story of, I think, Harry and um, Ron and Hermione kind of growing in their magical abilities, if you want my opinion on it. I think that the other thing that, that this movie does that's integral to the rest of the series is this introduction of wizard class and, and this classist sort of racism mm-hmm. that comes in, especially when it comes down to mudbloods, muggleborns, even halfbloods. If you don't have that foundation that we see in this movie, both with the the incident wherein Hermione is called a mudblood, but also just the chamber in general and the chamber mm-hmm. being a mechanism for pure blood, yeah, pure blood supremacy and racial cleansing. Without this, you would never truly understand the whole everything about Voldemort, and especially going forward and learning more about Voldemort's backstory himself like you would miss all of that if not for the what's set down in this movie i i do agree with you and that also i can't believe i forgot this 
because I mentioned it when we were watching it together, um, is like, was Mudblood like something that's okay to say out loud? No. No. Like in it's public? It's like the N-word. It's like the N-word. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying in the movie, I'm like, I'm pretty sure Malfoy says it when there's a group of like oh, yeah. a yeah. few teachers and stuff nobody says and anything nobody wrong. says yeah. anything. Oh. Now, yeah. oh, yeah, he does. Now, he says like, you'll be next, Mudbloods, when they. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's, that, that's, that's why I'm like. I don't think that that would be something acceptable to be said unless it's he he really is just money just does have that much play apparently in the right. magical world that they're like oh don't don't call him out on that. Well, or well I think but, it's like at Thanksgiving when your racist aunt starts saying stuff and you're all just like okay there goes okay. aunt Shirley again like you know what I mean like you just ignore it and yeah. talk about how rude that is when they're gone you know. Sorry for any Aunt Shirley's out there that took offense to that comment. Unless, no, but I mean, unless you are making racist comments at Thanksgiving, which we're not sorry at all in that case. No, but I just I just wanted to say because I'm like because we both kind of were like I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, that's not a word that's like acceptable to be said in like wizarding public, and he just kind of blurted it out with a ton of people around and like nobody bad an eye, and I'm like. Well, Maybe I'm just misremembering. It's a, it's a meta commentary on race relations in America in 2018, man. No, and I also think it's like they. It's like first of all, Malfoy's a Slytherin, so Slytherins speak that way because they're nasty people. And then second of all, I think you know just with Malfoy's background, I think it, it's more to say something about the character of Malfoy and mm. that you know this is the kind of nasty, dirty thing he says in his regular everyday language because he's such a bad guy. You right. Know? It's like good storytellers tell you what's going on. Great storytellers show you. And I think that that's yeah. something that as you learn the significance of that, that's something that, that the viewer and the reader will package together with Draco Malfoy until the end of time. It's probably one of the defining moments for his character throughout the series. And also, just to touch on it real quick, too, the, of course, the house elf's plight and everything is also mm-hmm. shown, too, is not only is there a class system within, you know, the the wizarding world, but there's also, you know, not only that, but there's also other magical creatures that are considered inferior mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well. And they get into that more later. Yes, in the both books and movies. Yes. Spew. Or so, not in yes, movies. exactly. So yeah, I mean, like, like I said, this this one this one has a lot of stuff that has an impact on the series, but it, it all it all comes into play later. It, it it sets the groundwork for what comes later. I think I think it does a good job mm-hmm. of doing that. I agree completely. So I didn't know if anyone had any other final thoughts on on, cha- but before we close the chamber of secrets, uh, I would like to say that. Katie and I, even though we weren't dating or married at the time, went and saw the last Harry Potter movie together. And mm-hmm. um, we sat there. We were the last people, like our gang was the last people in the theater. Everybody I don't el- remember that. Yeah, everybody else left. And somebody was like, Sam, it's time to go. And I screamed and I said, my body will stay in the theater forever. <laughs> And that's also the the movie where I cried so hard that people turned around and shushed me. So, I don't remember oh my that God. either. Yeah. It was bad. It was bad. I was a wreck. It was it's an a interesting very emotional time in my episode. Life. Yeah. Yeah. 
a very emotional we episode love of Harry Potter. Today. Harry Potter is <laughs> is one of like our core family belief systems. <laughs> yeah. I guess I don't yeah. know. But even then, like Sam is still not as into yeah. Harry Potter as I am. No. Like it is my foundation yeah. in life, <laughs> and that's and that's good. But I, really I like will that. say, with how much I love Harry Potter, I do not love this movie. I um. I think, I don't know. I don't know why, because I mean, like objectively, it's an interesting story. But to me personally, I'm just not as interested in this story as I am in other Harry Potter stories. Is it because you know what's in the next movie and the next movie and all that? No, because is it a a comparison thing? I just never have liked the second one as much. I don't dislike it, but it's definitely my least favorite. Does that make sense? Like, I still think it's a great story, but it's just not my favorite. I just don't like it as much. (sighs) I mean, I guess I, for one, want to get a tattoo on my forehead that says spiders flee before it. No, you don't. Yes, I do. (laughs) I think that's one of my favorite things I've ever read or heard in my entire life. Is that something you wish you could do? Flee before spiders or make spiders flee before me? (laughs) Have have spiders flee before you. Yes, that would be very nice. If I could just be Mm -hmm. a basilisk, please. (laughs) You I'm can a come man. out of my just, garden. Just that power, though, right? Yeah. Hopefully just that power. Yeah, not <laughs> looking at people and killing them. Yeah, that's bad. I don't agree with that. That's against my moral standing in life. All right, awesome. Um, Ellie, do you have any final thoughts? Um, No, I, I kind of agree um, as well that this one isn't my favorite, but I, I don't dislike it, but I it's not my favorite. So I'm looking forward to later discussions. Okay. Yes, so... Like, like like I said, I feel this sets the groundwork for a lot more stuff in the series, so mm-hmm. I'm the one being positive, but at the same time, this is would be my least favorite one. <laughs> sorry to any <laughs> listeners that this is their favorite. Um, sorry to Sam, but he, has, he, 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 he has argued his point that it is because of one creature in particular. Well, it's, yes, no, exactly. it's more than that, okay? It isn't. It's because there's a sword there's and a snake. There's a really cool sword and a really school, cool snake. The sword snake. comes in later, too. Okay, well, it's not just the sword and the snake, though. This movie... <laughs> I think that's the name of the chapter. The sword and the snake? I'm pretty sure, Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> this movie, I don't know why, and, and it is more of the book, but it is because it... I really believe that as a child... This is one of the things that that created me into like because anybody who listens to my podcast and if you don't should know that I do like a podcast on paranormal and cryptozoology and stuff like that. And especially this idea of magical creatures and cryptids. This is probably one of the earliest genesis of that in like my makeup and my development. So at the end of the day, it does. It comes down to like a really cool big snake. But because this snake had such an interesting mythology behind it, because of the way it it wove its way through the story, like this book created me and in in its own way is a, a reason why I do like the podcast that I do. So it's it's an emotional thing. I really, really adore this book and the movie as well, but especially the book. And I'm going to start reading it again right after this. So but that's fine. It's whatever. You guys can hate whatever you hate. I will point out that I think um, this is the, as Ellie pointed out with her name, this is the, I think, pinnacle of the Ron Weasley Ron Weasley. Because <laughs> there are a lot of them in this one where mm-hmm. it's just camera turns to reveal him making some really weird faces. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So. 
Yeah. So, those so yes. damn spiders. But, but speaking of your podcast, sir, if you would like to tell everyone where to find it, what's it about, and all that good stuff. Not Alone Podcast is the name of my podcast, and it is a podcast that my co-host and I, Jason, do. Jason's not here right now because Jason's not here right now. Whenever I invite him to be on things, he's like, nah, whatever. So instead, we figured we'd have Katie on because she's fantastic at Harry Potter and everything else. But anyway, my podcast is a paranormal. uh, We do aliens, ghosts, mysteries, cryptids, a lot of cryptozoology, stuff like that. Um, And yeah, it's everywhere. It's on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are found. So awesome well we thank you for being on sir and ma'am and congratulations on your podcast debut thank you <laughs> i'm glad we could um accompany that for you i'm very nervous and Ellie, to my own um, voice <laughs> you want to tell people where they can find us on the internet uh well you can find us on kind of like what they mentioned everywhere <laughs> exactly but but first and foremost we are both part of the dark myths podcast collective which yeah. you can of course go to darkmyths.org to find other great podcasts such as the zingness podcast or the not alone podcast or plenty of others mm-hmm. that have dark themes to them and maybe one of those episodes might have the actual like mythological backing of the basilisk probably I don't know if honestly that. i don't know if anyone has there is, maybe that's your next episode idea, babe. There's such a varied content in the dark myths. Like, there's everything from, like, the origins of fairy tales to, like, alternate reality fiction. Like, mm-hmm. there's anything any weirdo wants is there. So go check it out, because you're all weirdos. Way to continue alienating <laughs> the listeners. <laughs> but in a good way. Good way. Thanks weirdos. for alienating all of our listeners. <laughs> And you can, of course, find Zingness on basically anywhere where you can find podcasts. But, Ellie, if it is on Apple Podcasts, what do you do for us? A five-star review. Yes, they greatly help out the podcast, and we appreciate them a great deal. You can also find us, of course, on Facebook. Uh, Just search. Zingness. You can find us on Twitter at... Zingness. On Instagram, where we post some, some cool stuff in... In everything for the podcast. You can, of course, do at... Zing This Podcast. You can, of course, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com slash zing this. You can email us directly at... Zing This at gmail.com. And, of course, you can go to our Public site, where we now officially have the magical, magic-fied logo of Zing This is now available on their... Um, we have several different color designs with it, so definitely go check that out. You can get a t-shirt with it on, or some stickers with the Harry Potter-fied logo on it. Um, of course, our sound guy is Aaron. Our logo is done by Chris Singer, with modifications by Toby from the Secret Transmission Podcast. And finally, as always... DJ Golden Boy. 89. Play us out.